That's my Seth. Thank you, brother. He just made it possible for me to make it to the end of this sermon because I won't have to yell the whole time. Praise the Lord. Okay, so maybe you're sitting here and you sang that song earlier uh, that, that God is trustworthy. And, and you're like, Thomas, I, I don't know. Is He really loving and trustworthy? Can I really put my faith in Him and found my entire life upon His love? Because life just seems so unfair right now. Or you could have gotten an award at work for being great and being awesome, and you're just like, I'm doing my job, man. Well, no matter what has happened in life, no matter how you're being treated or whether or not you've been treated in a way that you don't deserve, I'm willing to guarantee you this that no one in here right now is getting what they do deserve. No one is getting what they do deserve. I can also guarantee you that no one here is thinking that they actually deserve worse than what they're experiencing right now. If anything, it ought to be better, right? Something in us, something in our hearts, something deep within us that says it must be better. In some ways, in the scripture that we're going to look at today, this is what Paul is expressing to us. And what we're going to see is how Paul reminded the Corinthian church that they've been treated in a way that is absolutely and stunningly undeserving by God. And God's treatment of them has changed the way that they are to live in the world. If you've been reading along in our Scripture reading plan that uh, Jared referenced earlier, you did read through 2 Corinthians this week. If you haven't been joining us in that, I encourage you to join us. We've got a few more weeks left. It's not too late, although we're close to the end. Um, please pick up a reading plan in the back and continue to read with us. We're going to preach through each week of the reading plan up until around uh, the end of November. Uh, And uh, this week in that reading plan, our memory verse was this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Are you renewed in Christ today? If you're not, stick around, listen. There will be an opportunity to be renewed in Christ today. I want to pray before we read the text and we'll continue in our time together. Father God, thank You. Thank You for being wise and diligent and caring and merciful. Thank You for giving us Your Word that we might devote ourselves to it. That we might learn from it. That we might memorize it and hide it deep within our hearts. That God, in days where we look around our life and we see the circumstances that surround us and we are blinded by doubt and despair, that we would be able to recall 
the great promises and truths of Your Word and use them as keys to unlock us from such dungeons as doubt and depression. Oh God, there have been many men and women that have gone before us in the faith that have leaned hard on Your promises. Oh God, may we do that today. May we trust the truth that is before us in Your Word. I pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I hope that you do. Uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 11 through 6, verse 2. If you have an electronic version of the Bible, please turn that on now and follow along. I'm going to read all of the text for us this morning. And then uh, we'll see how this is going to shape out for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast in us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So a little bit of context about what Paul is writing about here. 
to give us a, a little bit of more insight into why he would write this text and write it the way he has written it. One of the primary reasons that God or that that Paul pins this letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, was to defend his apostolic ministry. Paul had been made an apostle of Christ Jesus and he was taking the gospel and going around the world, sent out by the church to go and plant churches, bring Christians together into new churches. And oftentimes what followed behind Paul as he went from city to city were false teachers who came in to distort the message. To oftentimes, as we see in the book of Galatians, to, to preach a false gospel or another gospel. And Paul would say, as if there is another gospel. And then, here, uh, what has happened within the church at Corinth, the, the, the false teachers and the false apostles have come into the church and said, look, if Paul is really an apostle of Jesus, and he's really got the true message of God, then why in the world is his ministry marked by such, uh, dis, uh, by, by such affliction and persecution? As we read in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8 and 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians. It, what's interesting about this passage is that it's tucked in between Paul calling out two very trying situations in his life as an apostle of Jesus. They, these false teachers were saying, God really blesses a ministry that is marked by such hardship and difficulty? That can't be trustworthy, Corinthian church. And Paul is saying, do not believe the lies of Satan. Paul reminds the church that God's work in the world is not evidenced by the externals only. Here we see in 2 Corinthians that Paul clearly states that the ministry that God had given him and subsequently to us is not about the externals. Externals point to more about the flesh and the ways of the world rather than the things of God. External things or things of the flesh are more about us than they are about God. And if anything, Paul could never be accused of having a ministry about himself. It was the love of Christ that compelled him to endure hardship, to walk through persecution, to be treated as though he did not deserve. The main point of the sermon today is you're le le looking there on your notes that we'll see in these, this text is that Christians live in a reconciled relationship with God that changes our purpose in life. Christians live in a reconciled relationship with God that changes our purpose in life. And when we see this rightly, the renewed relationship that we have with God, our lives will not be about us and our comforts and patting our own egos. Rather, Christians will live lives that are about God and others. We'll be able to follow the greatest command that Christ has ever given the church. Love God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And this life, this new life that Christians live will be characterized by seeing the world completely different and being ready to boldly proclaim the Gospel whenever God provides the opportunity. There are two concepts I want us to see in Paul's defense of his ministry here in 2 Corinthians 5, 6-11. They'll serve as the sort of main handlebars of the sermon today. The first concept that we'll see is a ministry of reconciliation in 5.11-18. The second is, a, is the message of reconciliation. Some of you may be asking, well, Thomas, what in the world does reconciliation mean and how do you spell it? <clears throat> That's a good question. It's always helpful to define terms. I believe it would be helpful for us to understand just what reconciliation is. Classically and biblically. Classically, or in a, in a, if you look it up in the dictionary, Reconciliation means the restoration of an original understanding between two people after hostility and displeasure. Biblically, reconciliation means that a restored relationship has occurred between God and His people after God had hated sinners and hated sin and called us enemies and rebels to His kingdom. A definition like that doesn't pad the ego very well, does it? We were once hated by God. An enemy of the King. So, Hopefully that definition helps us as we work through the rest of this passage. The ministry of reconciliation as seen in verses 11-8. through 8. Paul here in these verses reminds the Corinthians, starting in verse 11, that Christ's coming judgment that is sure and real and will take place is compelling Him to persuade others to believe in the Gospel and the good news of Jesus. There will be a day when the High King Jesus sits upon His throne and divides the sheep and the goats. There will be a day when Jesus says to His people, these are the good deeds you have done and these are the evil deeds you have done. It is coming. And then Paul's ultimate assurance is that, that he's sharing with these believers is being known by the, because he is in Christ. Paul knows that he is hidden within Christ. Therefore, the members of the church in Corinth should be able to defend his ministry to those who would say otherwise, who do not know how to judge the heart of men. I understand that that job is solely left up to God. But as Christians, we can tell when people are bearing fruit in their lives. God has given us a great responsibility and authority to actually look at one another and hear our testimony and watch our lives to see if it's true. And Paul's saying, what evidence to the contrary do you have against me? Paul 
Paul's challengers actually think that it's crazy. He's out of his mind to proclaim that he knows God in the Gospel when he's experiencing persecution, hardship, distress, shipwreck, snake bites, and the list goes on and on. But for Paul, it is not the circumstances that controls him. What does he say? It's Christ's love that controls him. It's Christ's love in verse 13. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 14 that controls us, the apostles. That controls us, speaking of himself and Timothy and Titus and Sylvanus. For Paul, Christ's love for those who are perishing is the motivator to compel people to believe in Jesus. Paul no longer lives for his own pleasure with easy living and little hardship. He lives for Christ who literally died in His place that He would not have to face the judgment of God that ends with an eternal separation from God's presence. That is a real consequence, friends, for not being in Jesus. You will spend an eternity away from God. Those who are in Christ, though, are new creatures which have been given a gift from God that leads them into this great and amazing ministry of reconciliation. A great ministry where we get to see people who are estranged enemies of the Kingdom of Heaven come and be called sons and daughters of the King and Creator of the universe. This is a mission a life and a life purpose to see as many people as God would elect believe in Jesus and are restored into a right relationship with God. What a ministry. What an opportunity we have before us to reconcile sinners to God by pointing them to Jesus and all the work that He's done on our behalf. Paul saw his circumstances not as a defeater of the Gospel's work, but as evidence that God was working and the world was being turned on its head. Friends, what would this look like in your life? If you really saw the circumstances of your life as evidence of God's work, of using you to reconcile sinners to Himself. Because what if God has actually put you in the circumstances that you're in for His purpose and not yours? What if you're being treated the way you are with great respect or less than human for God and for others? The ministry that God has given Paul, if it is seen as ludicrous to some, then it is for God. And this is what Paul means when in verse 13, that they call me crazy. They call me crazy for Jesus. I'll take that. I'll take that. 
Essentially, to God be the glory if they call us crazy for living for Jesus. And our lives look nothing like this world would approve of. Maybe you end up committing to live in D.C. to see the Gospel impact here instead of just resume building and looking for, to land the next dream job. Maybe you actually care about this city and the people that are here more or so much that you would say, I want to make D.C. my home. Or maybe you stick it out at your current job because God just opened a door for a great opportunity to share the Gospel even though you didn't get that promotion that you thought you deserved. Here is one example of God opening a door in the midst of a difficult circumstances. Maybe it's your coworker and boss really treating you horribly. And in the midst of that, you make that injustice known and you say, I just can't, I don't know if I can bear with this anymore. And they say, well, I just, I want to change. I just don't know how. Well, look at that, an open door to share the gospel. You could say to something like that, you want real change in your life? You want lasting change that will far outlast this company and your job? You need to give your life to Jesus. Be reconciled to Him. I can guarantee you that everything will change if you do that. And you will see the world and people completely different. And it will change why and how you live your life. Come, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's totally worth it. You might think I'm crazy for suggesting you say something like that in your workplace. Praise be unto God. But why? Why do you think I'm crazy? Why, why is there, you know, when people laugh, there's a little bit of truth there, right? Why jokes are funny. There's some truth. I mean, don't you believe in the God who changes hearts and minds for His glory and the spread of the Gospel? Don't you believe verse 14 and 15? Look there. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and He has died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised again to new life. Are you compelled to have bold conversations in your workplace that no one else will have? Or with your neighbor or friends? Because Christ's love controls you. Controls you. Paul was convinced that he should live a life compelled by the love of Christ seen in his dying for all who would trust in him. And not only did he die in their place he has given them a new purpose and a new plan for their life. All of those who live compelled by the love of Jesus no longer live for themselves, but for Christ who has died for them and has been resurrected for them. So I say to you once again, what if your circumstances, whatever they are, are not about you? 
your circumstances very well may be the very place that God is providing you to take the ministry of reconciliation to. There are really two ways to see life. It's either all about us or it's all about God and others. That is not a false dichotomy. We either make our circumstances about us or we see them as opportunities that God has given us to make Christ known. The ministry of reconciliation is about those who were estranged from God being in a restored relationship with them. Why would we not want that for our neighbors and friends, brothers and sisters and friends? Why would we not want to see people restored to God? We participate in this ministry when we see past ourselves and see opportunities to compel others to be reconciled to God. So that's the ministry of reconciliation. Circumstances flipped on their head as opportunities to make Jesus known. Now let us look to what is this powerful message of reconciliation. What do we take into that conversation? That circumstance? That's revealed to us in verses 9 through verses 19 of chapter 5 through 6 2. Paul has said before that he is a minister of the of reconciliation. He also calls himself an ambassador there in verse 20. And Paul was a representative of God announcing that reconciliation was indeed possible. And he provides how it is actually possible as he proclaims this good news of Jesus in these verses. He actually tells us in these verses how it's possible for human beings who were enemies of God to be actually reconciled to God in a right relationship with Him. How is that even possible? Well, there are two places where we see it. One is in verse 19. The second is in verse 21. Look at verse 19. Right there in the middle of the verse. Paul writes, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. Remember earlier when I said that many of you are, are not getting treated as you deserve and you might not be thinking that you actually deserve worse than you're currently getting? Well, here is the Scripture that should be a stunning revelation to you. God has not counted our trespasses against us if He is our Lord and our Savior. God has not counted our trespasses against us. We have crossed the line though. We've broken the rule. We've broken the law. We have abhorred the commandment. We are guilty in the court of law. And justice demands that our trespass be counted against us. Otherwise, it would be injustice. But somehow, or in some way, God doesn't count those who are in Christ. He does not count our sin and trespass against us. Again, justice truly demands that we have our trespasses counted against us in the judgment seat of God. 
We've sinned in a myriad of ways that has offended and caused us, that has offended God and caused us to be considered dead before God. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies. You see, we thought that there was a better way of listening to the culture instead of God. We believed that disobedience would give us more than obedience. We gave in to the weakness of our flesh and its passions. We did this because it seemed at the time so uncontrollable and were more and we it was more pleasing than living by the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation for all who trust in Jesus training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, Titus 2. So in our trespasses, we don't deserve to have our circumstances be a blessing and our relationship with God be righted in Christ. We are treasonous wretches before a holy God. We don't deserve a warm hug of a loving Father. We don't deserve the riches of grace that grant us access to the throne room of God. We deserve condemnation and an eternity separated from the love of the Father. We deserve God's eternal wrath. The exact judgment that rebellion deserves. Because that's what sin against a holy, infinitely righteous God is met with when one does not have Christ. Treason, rebellion, injustice, human dignity, robbing sinfulness will be rightly dealt with in the high court of God. I want to be clear with you. There may be some things where our judges and our justices get wrong in this world. But it will not be wrong at the judgment seat of God. Justice will be served. And all of that may make some of you a little uncomfortable this morning. Treasonous wretch. How dare you not? Well, I want to assure you something, friends. My responsibility is to not make you feel comfortable, but to convince you that standing condemned before the Lord is a great peril. And there is also a great reward though if you trust in His means of salvation. And I am called to compel you to be reconciled to God. Amazingly, amazingly, God in Christ does not count our trespasses against us. And this is stunning. And this is the first part of how reconciliation is even possible. That God would not count something against us like that. He has every reason to condemn us. But there is only one reason He does not call us. Those who trust in Jesus for salvation trespasses of His holiness. He calls us sons and daughters. 
He calls us children. He calls us His own possession. He loves us and has set His affection, affection upon us. He sings over us. He has blessed us in the heavenly places with every blessing. He has restored our relationship with Him that was ruptured by our disobedience. His mercy has flowed in our direction. And then Paul reveals to us how this is even possible. Because I will tell you, brothers and sisters, this treacherous wretch doesn't deserve to stand here and tell you to be reconciled to God. I've done nothing. I'm from nothing. I've put my full trust in the love of God through Christ, the firm foundation for which we can live on time. So how is it possible? Look at verse 21. How is it that God can look upon us as, as if we have never sinned? For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me put that in really plain English for you. God made Jesus to be sin so that you could be counted as holy. That should shock you out of your seat. What does it mean though? What does it mean that He made Him or He made Christ to be sin? This means that in the infinite wisdom of God for the restoration of humanity, Christ, on our behalf, for our sake, would be treated as though He were a sinful criminal. As if He were a treasonous wretch. The High King of Heaven, through whom everything exists and is held together, is counted as a treasonous wretch on your behalf. That is an enemy of the Kingdom of God. Punish. Drinking the cup of wrath that His Father set for Him. The only reason, the one and only reason, yes, the exclusive reason that God has done this is because Christ loving us, dying for us on our behalf. This is true if you've placed your faith in Christ your full trust in the One who has died for sinners and then resurrected for us. But if you've not fully trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, dying in your place, treated as a treasonous wretch on your behalf, today can be the day of salvation. 6-2? Yeah? You thought I wouldn't get there, didn't you? Today will be the day of salvation. I encourage you, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, speak with a Christian friend that came with you today or brought you today. Or speak with me or Jared. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be reconciled.
to God. So let's be honest for a little bit longer. Many of us have given over to despair, to the despair of our circumstances, haven't we? The weakness of our flesh. We've not lived in our reconciliation. Some days we question whether or not we've even been reconciled. We're depressed because of not being treated like we thought we should be treated. Or respected like we ought to be respected. We are lonely believing that we deserve something. A spouse, money, job, purpose in living outside of God. Something would make us feel complete. We're anxious because we just don't know how God's going to provide for us. Although, we really take a hard look back. God has provided every step of the way. We're not quite sure how that interview is going to go for that next job or how the annual review will actually turn out. What will we do if it's not all that good? Or, we're actually too pleased with how things are going. And we've neglected our relationship with God. Things seem to be on the up and up. And maybe I don't need Jesus. Yeah, don't say that. That's right, brother. Don't say that. Don't be caught saying that. There you go. I got the promotion. Look at me and my big bad self. Yeah. Brothers, sisters, look at verse 6. Or chapter 6, verse 1. Do not be vain recipients of grace and mercy. Do not be vain recipients of grace and mercy. God has come to you in the worst of your circumstances. When you realize you were a sinner, condemned without Christ, and cried out for help, He came to rescue you and help you. Those words in chapter 6, verse 1 are words from the mouth of the Lord. In a favorable time, I listen to you. He bent his ear towards treasonous wretches who knew they had nothing except to plead Christ. And in the day of salvation, I help you. We need a lot of help. We need God's help. It's the only way we can live inside of our reconciliation. It's the only way that we can rightly live within a restored relationship with God. He has loved you as His own and welcomed you into His family fully into a fully restored relationship. There's no suspicion in His eye when He looks at you. He's your Father. He's received you at His side and is your companion as you are His child. He's provided for you at every turn and will continue to do so until Christ returns or you pass away. He has blessed you, not to blind you of your need for Him, but to remind you that without His grace and mercy, you would be lost, lonely, scared, and confused. 
we are to live with purpose in our reconciliation. And that looks like living a holy life that is set apart in this world. It looks like turning our circumstances upside down as opportunities instead of bemoaning our undeserved treatment. Our lives then should be marked by various things, but many of us, the men and women of this church, are reading through a book called The Spiritual Disciplines. Our lives should be marked by those spiritual disciplines. How are you doing with scripture intake, prayer, and spending time with God in communication? You have a restored relationship with the creator of the universe. You have access to his throne of grace. You can go to him and ask for wisdom. Are you doing that in prayer? Are you fasting, telling your flesh that it will not win the day? Are you worshiping God and God alone? Are you spending some time writing down your thoughts so that they're more clear and that you're more prepared through journaling to share the good news of Jesus? Maybe you need to write that out. Maybe you need to think through that conversation a little bit further than what am I going to do the next time my boss boss tells me I I want to change, I just don't know how. Are you just going to turn back and go to the water cooler? Maybe you need to spend some time meditating on the Word of God. Thinking about it. Christian meditation is a time of not of emptying ourselves and emptying our minds. It's a time of specific, intentional focus on the Word of God. Maybe you need to go and share your faith in bold evangelism. One of our values. Or maybe in the craziness of life and in the busyness of your circumstances, you simply need to get away and be and spend some time with God in solitude. But our lives as Christians who live this new life focused on God and others do these things so that we might implore sinners to be reconciled with God. God gave Paul a ministry of reconciliation that we might see all of life as an opportunity to make Christ's love known. And God made this ministry of reconciliation possible not counting our trespasses against us, but counting His Son as a sinner in our place. And now, today, the day of salvation, we can live holy, upright lives in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, compelling all people to be reconciled to our merciful God. Let us pray. Oh God, thank You. Thank You so much for this ministry of reconciliation. Praise and glory and honor be unto You who counted Your Son a sinner in My place. In the place of those who call themselves Christians today. God, may we be a people who live out our reconciliation, turning circumstances on our head and marked by holy living in relationship with You that we might see sinners reconciled. We love You, Father. We thank You in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.